Thanks so much for joining us at Vive Church for our podcast. We're currently in our amazing series, Kingdom, Corrupting the Status Quo. If you have a story to share about what God is doing in your life or what God's done for you, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at mystory@vivechurch.org. It's been a good series so far, amen? It's been fun to, to preach the very thing that Jesus preached. He preached kingdom. That was His message, kingdom. And I want to come around a Scripture. If you've got your Bibles, I want to just kind of go back to the same Scripture that we were in last Sunday in Matthew chapter 16. And, and I want to go back there because I want to kind of, kind of tack on that sermon last Sunday. It says this in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15. It says, Then He asked them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. It says, and, everyone say and. And "And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. How many people have a key? How many people have a key? You know you have a key. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And this is where we paused and stopped last Sunday because I thought this next verse might have just complicated things too much. But, but God's been speaking to me about it all week and I can't wait to preach on it. It says this in verse 20, Then He sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that He was the Messiah. We started out this series looking at what with a sermon called Just Like Jason, that what I've got, I simply give to God. That's what the Kingdom of God looks like. We also looked at where in a sermon on how to win from within, that the Kingdom of God is within us. We also even looked at how, knowing that I have a key, that I have access. That's how I use the Kingdom of God. Today, I wanna consider one more element in this series called Kingdom, which is a matter of when matter of of when. And and, and I've got a sermon title that is somewhat contradictory in its nature. And and I'm labelling this this sermon a season of suddenly. A season of of suddenly. Would you find three people around you, look them in the eyes and say, it's about time. Would you just say that? Just say it's about time. It's about time we preach on this. It's about time I know when. It's about about time. And, And maybe we could just pray before we take our seats. God, we thank You. Lord, we know Your presence is here. God, we give You permission to do what it is that You want to do in our hearts today. God, would You bring this whole series together in this moment, God, where we would have a better perspective of Your kingdom and our part that we play in it. God, we pray, would You be glorified in Your name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab your seat. Come on, let's thank our worship teams across every location in San Jose, in San Francisco, and online and here in Palo Alto. Looking good, Palo Alto. Let me try it in San Jose. San Jose, you're looking really good. I know know they appreciate some praise. In Luke chapter 17, if we can go there together in our own Bibles for a moment, we would see yet again that there is another pervasive question from the Pharisees to Jesus concerning His teaching and His teaching style. As we have learned from this series, Jesus 
motivation was, was clearly humanity to come and do what he did, yet the message that he preached wherever he went was kingdom. And the style in which he used to approach this concept uh, called kingdom was a style known as parables. It was, it was stories and a different teaching style to unpack what seemed to be then and still appears to be today a, a somewhat of a, a difficult concept to grasp. And this style of teaching actually helped some people but frustrated the Pharisees even more. And if we look in Luke chapter 17, we see a confronting interaction between the religious leaders and Jesus. The Pharisees had certainly had their own understanding or their own picture of what it meant to, 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 to unpack or what their picture was of the kingdom. But what they were certainly interested in knowing from Jesus was His prediction as to when this kingdom would actually come about. And it says this in verse 20 of Luke 17, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. When will the kingdom of God come? Look at your neighbour real quick and say when. I'm going to get you interactive today because I need to do a little bit of teaching before we set up the preaching this morning and, and I need you to stay with me. So interaction is certainly going to help today. When? How many people know that the question of when can actually be just as, as frustrating as the question of what sometimes? You know, I know that God wants to do great things in my life, but, but what I really want to know is when is it going to happen? And I have to be honest with you, I feel like I need to confess something. I like to use this platform as a confession platform. It helps me be vulnerable and is a lot cheaper than counselling. And so I do want to take this moment to confess that I have a real problem with patience. I'm going to be honest with you. I was even speaking to my wife this week. I said, I want to speak on patience. Do you have any examples of when I was impatient? She said, where do I start, honey? But it was actually, we're having this conversation and, 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 and there is no more time that is more evident about my impatience than when I'm on a flight or at an airport. And we happen to be at an airport as we're having this conversation. And it reminded me, and I want to kind of introduce you to a certain person by the name of Vladimir in this church. <laughs> Vladimir is on our media team. He, he's on our broadcast team. He's creative. He does everything with cameras and, and, and quite a gifted human being. And recently we, we took a trip to Israel together to do some filming and, and we're on a flight. And, and, and you know, if you've ever been on a flight, I'm assuming that all of us have, that, that, that it can be sometimes confusing as to why they still play those safety videos. Especially the part where they show you how to buckle a seatbelt together. And I always wondered why are they still doing that? Surely we can slim that down now and, and cut some things out. But this flight reminded me why they still do this, because we happen to be on a flight with a tour group called Maranatha Tours, where the average age of the tour group was 95. And this was evidently their first flight ever. And, and, and I, I thought, this is so cute. You know, they're, they're, they're laughing and giggling about how to put a seatbelt together. I thought, this is so cute. And they're all wearing matching T-shirts. But at the end of an 11-hour flight, what was cute is not cute anymore. How many people know that? And it literally took us 40 minutes to deboard the plane, to just get off. The plane was parked. The doors were open. First class, we're already home. We, we, were, we were sitting still on the aircraft and, and, and they took turns. You know how you kind of, you know, courteous, courteously get, kind of get up? 
out of your seat and you wait for your turn. They waited till the aisle was free. I might now get my things together. And they had things everywhere. Every pocket had something and glasses here. And, and, and so my patience was being tested. Not only that, on the back of their shirt, it had written, peace is a river. I was thinking 11 hours, there's going to be some other kind of river if you don't get off this plane. Needless to say, 40 minutes later, we got off the plane. And as we were walking towards customs, Vlad's doing the pat down, Vladimir. And he's like, oh, my hat. Now, I just said, buy hat. How many people know what I'm talking about? You just count some things as loss. You just write them off in life. Not Vladimir. He starts going back. I said, Vlad, you're not going back. He's like, I'm going back. I said, that better have some incredible sentimental value. It didn't. But by the time he got onto the plane again, which is actually illegal, but somehow he did, got back onto the plane, got off, got found us at customs. He could see that I was visibly frustrated. And he said, Pastor, I expected you to be a little bit more patient than than this. How many people know, given your age or the length of the current season that you're in, your frustration can have varying degrees? Your patience can have varying degrees. And I've been privileged to speak to all kinds of people, and it can be fascinating to me that, you know, I've spoken to a little bit serious. I, I've spoken to, to, to women who have been frustrated before as to why God still hasn't brought their husband along. You know, they've told me that they've, that, that they've tithed regularly, that they've, they've, they've prayed fervently, they've fasted constantly, and, and still at the age of 23, they're wondering when, God? <laughs> when? 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 <laughs> How many people have been in a season where they've wondered when, God? Wondered when? That's kind of the question. When, God, are you going to reveal your purpose for my life? God, when are you going to deliver on your promise? And this is possibly what makes the, the different seasons in life so difficult. Because we know that God can do anything at any time, yet it makes us wonder why hasn't He? Right? Can, have I got a church that's with me this morning? And in Matthew, we see Jesus giving the disciples a peculiar command. He, he tells them not to tell anyone that He is the Messiah. In fact, we see this on a number of occasions where, where Jesus would, would do something miraculous and yet He would tell the people not to, to say anything, to keep it to themselves because it's not yet His time. We see an example of this in Mark chapter 7 where just after Jesus healed a deaf man, it says in, in verse 36, Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more He told them not to, the more they spread the news. Didn't work. And then we also see this in John chapter 2 when, when Jesus is speaking to his own mother. It says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And in some respects, it can actually be comforting to know that God is working to a divine time. That everything that happens in life is not just some random result of events that happen in our life. That, that it's not just this, this collision of chaos, but that fa- in fact that God is working in a divine time and that everything in life has a season. Would you agree? My problem, however, is I always want to skip to the next season. Is anybody with me? Trying to preach to a real church today. And I thought 
might be helpful to cap off this series by discovering not only how the kingdom of God works in seasons, but how do I make my current season work for God's kingdom? That'd be helpful. Would that not be helpful? How how the kingdom of God not only works in seasons, but how do I make my current season work for God's kingdom? And something that is important to understand theologically about the kingdom is that the kingdom of God represents the rule and reign of Christ Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. Another way to say it would be to say that God is sovereign. How many people are with me? God is sovereign. That simply means that God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants to do it. That means if God wants to do something, He doesn't have to wait on anybody. God is not restricted to anybody. God doesn't have to consult anyone. He doesn't have to ask approval from a committee. If God wants to do something, He can do it all of a sudden. In fact, the kingdom of God is known as a kingdom of suddenly. We see it in Scripture all the time. Different examples where suddenly God moved. We see it in Acts, in fact, where where, where it tells us as the disciples waited in the upper room, then suddenly, like like a mighty rushing wind, the Spirit of God filled the upper room. We see it from time and time again when Jesus wants to get His message to certain people. It says that suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. We see it with Paul and Silas in Acts. As they're in prison simply praising God, it says then suddenly a violent earthquake happened and the prison doors flew open. That God can do things suddenly. This is because God is sovereign, meaning He can move in any situation at any time He chooses. Are you with me? But knowing this can create some tension in our life and make it confusing as to why He isn't moving in my situations as suddenly as I would like. And that's because God also, other than suddenly, He also works in seasons. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about seasons, just as it has to say about suddenly. Seasons are the opposite of suddenly, in fact, because where suddenly is instantaneous, seasons seem slow. We have been in a, in a rainy season recently in California. And, and, and I was talking with a guy, I actually put on Instagram some, some pictures of some trees that had fallen down in our street and in downtown San Jose, went to visit some of our people who were caught up in the floods and, and was taking some pictures and posting them. And I had a buddy from Texas who, who said to me, hey, now you've got our weather, can you keep it please? I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. This, this weather is not welcome here. How many people know that we're done with this season? I wonder what season that you're currently in that you're done with. Maybe it's a a single season. Maybe it's a stressful season. Maybe it's a stagnant season. Seasons in life, and I think if we're all transparent enough today, we would all agree that there are seasons in life or seasons we've been in or maybe in a season right now where we can feel Stuck, stuck in the same season. Sometimes it's a long season, a drawn out season. And I think it would be safe to say that knowing that we all have been stuck in seasons in our life, it can be confusing as to what is the key to take us into the next season. The Bible, however, makes it clear in Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, that it is God who sets and God who changes the times and seasons. That means it's, it's God who schedules your seasons. The problem is, 
he never ever posts it for you to see. (laughs) But yet God is in control, amen? God is working every season. And what the Bible does give us, however, although God doesn't post the season we are in, the Bible does give us some formulas in which we can follow to better understand the seasons that we may be a part of. The Bible calls this the principle of seed, time and harvest. How many people know about this principle in the Bible? Seed, time and harvest. Knowing that in every season in your life, that that season will produce something, a harvest of something in your life. At the same time, God has put a seed in every season that is the key to actually producing the harvest in that season. The variable or the other element that that is in this equation is the one thing that we cannot control and that we cannot change, which is the element called time. Can I teach on time for a moment this morning? I need to do some teaching because I want to take it there. And this is really just a one-point revelation sermon that is going to put a nice little bow and a button on the whole series. But I need to kind of teach to get us to that place where we can really lift off and, and kind of drive it home. And I, and I want to teach on time because we work within a framework called time. And you might be thinking that time is such a simple thing to teach on. I live in time. I know time. Well, you don't know time like I know time. I want to teach you some Greek words around time, if that's okay. Give you some Greek up in this church. Because there are actually two types of time, both which have Greek words. And if you take notes, I want you to write this down. If you don't take notes, I want you to write this down. It says the, the first one is, is, is chronos time, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, chronos time, which is actually where we, we know as chronological or sequential time. Chronos is the time that we live by. It's the time that we work by. It's the time we worry about losing. It's the time that we're in. It's measured by seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. That's That's the time that we live in. And sometimes you can get worked over by time. How many people know that? You can wonder where did time go? But you can actually make time work for you as well. That's what we do here at Vive Church. In fact, we we make uh, Kronos time work for us all the time. We have three campuses, soon to be four, that you may be unaware of this, but at a specific time, we link all the campuses together. We call it going from local to live where we have a local expression, but unbeknownst to you, there is a time where we sync up with every campus. So right now, San Francisco, right now, San Jose, soon to be Oakland is gonna be linked up live. And that is the job of the producers and the broadcast team to get it right. If they don't, they get fired. But, but, But you get to just enjoy the worship experience. I love hearing the laughter of the broadcast team. As if I'm joking. But, but the pressure's on them at the right time. The way we can do this and the reason we can do this is because of this thing called chronos time. It's reliable. It's always set. We can bank on it. We can guarantee that nothing is changing about time. Time has been going. Time has been marked. It's been measured at significant moments in history and still chronos time is working with us or against us. It's your perspective. But you can make time work for you. There is another time which you can also write down, and this is called Kairos time, K-A-I-R-O-S, Kairos time. Now this refers to divine or appointed time. In other words, we would probably describe it as the right time. 
We see this illustrated in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, where it says, At just the right time, Christ died for us. This is known as Kairos time, and it's the time in which God alone works. God works in that time. He is master of that time. It's called the right time. Kronos looks like seasons. Kairos looks like suddenly. We would also call them God moments. How many people have had a God moment? You'd be able to look back on your life and you'd be able to articulate that there has been a point or hopefully several times in my life where I've had a a God moment where where God has broken into my chronos with His kairos, where God has spoken a word in season, where God has had me in the right place at the right time. That's actually how God likes to work. He likes to invade the chronos or corrupt the chronos with His kairos. The chronos can be status quo. But God loves to corrupt the status quo. He likes to inject His kairos, His divine time, His appointed time, His right time in the right season, in the right place, in the right time. And God is not restricted to either, but works in both. Without this understanding, it can actually be confusing as to why Jesus would ask His disciples not to tell anyone that He was the Messiah. Peter had just had the amazing revelation that he was the Messiah. Wasn't just some great historical figure. Wasn't just some prophet mixed in the other bunch of prophets. Not just some special guy, but he was none other than the Savior of the world. And you would expect that the next sentence from Jesus would be, this is great, let's go. But he doesn't say that. He, he, he says, hey, 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 now you've got that revelation. Don't tell anyone. And the reason that he wanted the, to... To, to kind of pause them in their progress and to, to make sure they kind of hold on for a minute is because he, he knew that Peter had somewhat of a revelation. It's what we call partial revelation. He had the revelation that Jesus was the Saviour, yet he fully hadn't grasped what the Saviour would have to do in order to be the Saviour that the Saviour would have to suffer, that the Saviour would have to go through some things. We see it even a few verses later where the same Peter who had the revelation that he was the Saviour, the minute Jesus said he must suffer, Peter says, no, 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 never. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter didn't, he had the bravado, he had the confidence, but he hadn't yet fully unpacked what the Saviour would have to do. Jesus knew he had to use chronos some time to reveal that when the divine time, the kairos come, that they could understand what was actually going on. God works Kronos and Kairos. He works them together. Are you staying with me today? Is this helping anybody already? I believe that God is always working in both Kronos and Kairos seamlessly. For instance, we can so often miss the fact that God is working these two together. We can often miss the divine moments with our kids because it often looks like homework. We can miss the influence that God wants us to have because we're so focused on our promotion. That if we actually understand that in the midst of my chronos, God wants to inject His kairos, then we would understand that God is working the two seamlessly together. In fact, I believe that God actually wants to show us in the same seasons that we've seen stuck, or the same seasons that we're done with are actually the same seasons that can hold something very significant for our life. And I want to show you this with an Old Testament character by the name of Gideon. Can, can, we, can we go in our Bibles together to Judges chapter 7? Come on, San Jose, San Francisco. I want us to go together as one church right now in all of our locations to, to Judges because I want to unpack the, the story of, of Gideon. And, and here we have 
story of Gideon. Gideon is a man. He's chosen by God to lead the Israelite nation. If you know anything about the Israelite nation, they, they, they were under attack in this season for seven years. I would call that a seven-year season. For seven years, they had been, been under attack. They'd been under oppression. They'd been under, uh, under the Midianite rule and, and, the, and the Midianite oppression. They had been hiding out, in fact. In fact, when the Lord comes to Gideon, we find Gideon hiding in a wine press, hiding out, just trying to live life, stuck in a season, somewhat accepting the season that he's in for what it is. No grandeur of changing that season, no vision even in his life to to be the, the one that God would use to do something significant in his generation. Yet God comes to Gideon and calls Gideon a mighty warrior. And I want to show you this because what we've got in this passage in Judges chapter 7, we have Gideon up against a formidable opponent because God has selected him to lead the nation. He's now got him an army, 300 men are with him. But but what we're going to see is how God is working in a way where his servant Gideon couldn't see. And it says this in verse 9, That night the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. I like how God speaks things that aren't yet as though they would be. Because Gideon could just see the enemy, but God said, I've given you the victory. He says, but if you are afraid to attack, which Gideon was, Go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you'll be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. Verse 12, the armies of Midian, Amalek and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains on the sand on the seashore, too many to count. Let's pause there. Here we have God positioning Gideon on the outskirts of the enemy's camp where he is obviously outmanned and obviously outnumbered. But I want you to check out this next verse because this next verse is a clear example of the divine timing of God. It is a clear example of how even though you can be stuck in a season for Gideon and the Israelite nation, seven years of oppression, seven years of hardship, seven years, the Bible says, of starvation. That's where the people of God were. They were in a season of lack, which can be confusing as to know that God is my God, yet I'm still in lack. Why am I in lack? Seven years, they're stuck. But now what we're about to see, because God's servant Gideon has made himself available for God, we're about to see the divine timing of God break through. And it says this in verse 12, Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. Everyone say good timing. The man said, I had this dream. In my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over and knocked the tent flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelites, victory over Midian and all its allies. Verse 15, when Gideon heard this dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord and then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Just as a man was telling his companion. This is a clear picture of the divine time of God. 
right when, right when Gideon needed it most, right when Gideon was, was positioned at the place that God wanted to bring them into the victory, God had prophesied it. God had reminded him, Gideon, I give you the victory. The victory is yours. Take it. But I like how God works. He knows us. He says, if you're afraid, I'm going to cause a divine movement right now to bring the right amount of courage that you need to keep persevering in this season. I'm going to bring the right amount of perspective that you're going to need. And that's what God often wants to do. He wants to bring a perspective on the season that we're often afraid in. And He says, I want you to take your servant Pura and go down to the edge of the camp. The Bible says at just that time, as if by coincidence, (laughs) as if by just great timing, As if the moon was aligned and the stars were aligned and the the birds were tweeting at the right time where you got that revelation. I hear people and they they tell me it's amazing coincidence, Pastor. This happened and this happened. And it's an amazing coincidence. I say, yeah, that's how God works in coincidence. But at just the right time, Gideon gets to the edge of the camp, overhears one of the enemy having a, a dream And then his companion says, it can mean only one thing. Now, I read that dream and I think that could mean a couple of things, in fact. But to this companion, it it meant one thing, one thing, that God has given Gideon, that guy with just 300 men. The the Midianites had had more soldiers and camels than sand on the seashore. You couldn't count them. But yet the interpretation came at the right time. Everyone say the right time. It came at the right time. This is how God works. He works at the right time in our life. In fact, God will often speak to you with what you need most to keep you working in your current season. He can do this through a sermon. He can even do it through a setback. God can even do it through an unexpected blessing. And I believe that God wants to bring divine moments that will sustain us in our current season. I was speaking with... uh, a guy, in fact, just the other week in, in, in church, it was after church, and I had uh, to, to meet different people, and I had some things I really needed to get to, and, and, and there was a tension within me because there was someone that I'd been lining up to spend some time with and actually pray for who was going through something, but, but the conflict in my time actually took me in two different places. And, and, and as I was torn, I, I just saw one guy in our church that had been coming to our church for a while and had actually been, you know, I'd had a lot of, lot of conversations with a great man of God and we, we have some great conversations about God and just at that moment God just highlighted me to him and said hey why don't you get him to pray this is the man of God that prays God flows through each one of us amen yeah. and so I grabbed this this guy and I said hey man would you mind just praying with this with this other guy and he said sure I'd love to love to I went about what I had to do and that afternoon I thought I'd just check in I texted him I said hey how did you go praying with that guy he said you know it was fantastic just just got to pray and we encouraged each other. In fact, he encouraged me, I encouraged him, it was awesome. He said, it was really funny, in fact, that you grabbed me. I said, why was that? He said, because I was standing in service that Sunday saying, God, I'm ready. God, and if you want me to do something, and if you're with me, then then make it obvious. And just as I prayed that, had been no more than five minutes later, you said, hey, would you pray? How many people know that God will bring the right thing at the right time? He, he is able to bring the kairos into your chronos. That's what God is able to do. And we, here in Scripture, in this story, we, we see Gideon up against a formidable enemy. And we're about to see how God will break through suddenly for Gideon. 
Gideon who has been in a season. Gideon who's been stuck in the same season for some time. But I like when we're stuck in a season how God is able to bring about us suddenly. And it says this in Judges chapter 7. Man, I've got to hustle. Judges chapter 7, verse 19, it says, it was, it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. They had to sneak down. I like what it says next. It says, suddenly. Everyone say it together. Suddenly. They, suddenly, they, they blew the ram's horns and they broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars and they held the blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hands and they all shouted a sword for the Lord and, and for Gideon. Suddenly, suddenly they, they, they broke the clay jars. Verse 16 tells us that they, they put torches in clay jars, which can seem strange. That can seem strange because you're not meant to put a torch in a jar. The Bible tells us that. Who lights a lamp and puts it under a basket? Come on, we know this. Torches aren't meant to go in jars. Sometimes it can seem strange, the season that we're in. It can seem strange for Jesus to tell Peter not to tell anyone. It can seem strange to be having marriage difficulty as long as you have. It can seem strange to be struggling financially still after all these years. It can seem strange in some seasons, sometimes not knowing what God is doing. And here what we see is that God tells Gideon to place a torch in a clay jar and to creep down into the enemy camp. It's a season where what they had had to be hidden. It was a season where their shout had to be silenced. And there are sometimes seasons that can be strange to us. Seasons that seem peculiar, seasons that seems like I'm stagnant, seasons that seem like I'm struggling, seasons that seems like I don't have a voice, seasons that I feel insignificant and we can begin to wonder, God, why this season and when this season will finish? God, how long is this season? But, but, but I wonder if it's like your season could be somewhat like, like Gideon's season where the season of silence was actually more of a season of positioning. That, that he had to hide the light for a season to get him into position. Oh, help me preach. I'm, gonna, I'm about to take off. Barbara, I don't know where you are today, but I need your help to preach this. Uh, uh, there are some seasons that, that, that God will, well, it seems like silence to us. It seems like insignificance to us. It seems like we're secret, like we're hidden. Like, God, do you know I'm here? Do you, do you know what I'm going through? But what God did for, for, for Gideon in the season of silence was actually a, a season where he positioned him right where was going to be most effective. Maybe you've been walking with God for a season and you, and you felt guilty that you haven't been as vocal about the kingdom where maybe you've been in a career but nobody knows that you're a Christian. Where Maybe you've been in a, in a place where you've been fighting that tension, wondering, God, I know I'm meant to be bold for you, but, but I can't have been on the back foot. Well, I believe that God today wants to remind you that, hey, even though in your apathy you've been feeling guilty, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I can even use that apathy to be like a positioning that when you do shine bright, you're in the perfect position for maximum impact. Just maybe. I need my band. You can come on out. I need my band to help me today. Because this is the positioning that God is in. He, he, he's, like, he's like, there's a season of silence for Gideon. 
where he positioned him at the edge of the camp. And then right when they were in position, here comes the suddenly. Here comes the suddenly. Here comes the moment that that God wants to do something suddenly in your life, something in your season. I wonder if God is trying to get your season on display right now where He can set you up for a significant suddenly. I'm wondering if God's got you here today to tell you that your season doesn't have to be just struggle. That God can do something suddenly if you let Him. That God can do something powerful if you let him, that God wants to bring the Kairos into your Kronos today, that God can do something subtly. And notice this, the transition from the season of silence and the season of struggle for Gideon in the Israelites into the season of suddenly was marked by the breaking of a clay jar. I wish I had a clay jar today to help me. Oh, I do, we do. Oh, fantastic. Let's bring that up. Let's bring that up. This is a heavy jar. A clay jar. Sit down for a moment because you're making me antsy. You feel like I have to clean this thing. I still got a couple minutes. I still got a couple minutes. Clay jar. I'm going to put this down. It's heavy. The jar. It says they put the torch in the jar. They put the light in a clay jar. You know, light in Scripture is always connected to life, eternity, the kingdom and Christ. Clay, however, in Scripture often references man, flesh, the temporal nature. It represents our fear and our insecurities. We see this in John 9, in fact, where Jesus makes clay and he, with, his, with his saliva and He puts it on a blind man and He says, as you wash it away, you'll be healed. And that's exactly what we see, that He, he takes the clay and He removes it from the situation. Healing comes, breakthrough comes. And in the Scripture, it says the light was in the clay jar. And it says as they broke the jar, I'm not about to break this jar. It's a nice jar. But it is something that I do want to use today to represent what it is that we have in Christ Jesus. And just maybe, it may be the key to help you understand God's timing in every season. Because what's powerful what was, is what was in the clay jar. It, it's what was in the clay jar. The clay jar was useful for a season, amen. The clay jar was the clay jar was useful in the season where they seemed like they were struggling, where they seemed like they were silenced, but the light had to be hidden for a season to get them in the right position. Nate, are you going to help me preach today? I'm looking right at you, man. I need your help. They had to get in the right position, and so the clay jar had its use. God can work a season for its use. God can make something useful out of your useless season. God can do something in the clay elements of your life, in the flesh elements of your life. Uh, Remember in Luke chapter 17, the, the Pharisees, they said, when the Kingdom of God would come, that's the question they asked, when, when would the Kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus answered their questions of when with a where. This is strange, Vadim. This is strange. He 
He answers his questions of when with a where. He answered their question of a time with a place. Hold up, hold up. This, this actually explains where Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 6 tells the people, the right time for me has not yet come, but for you, any time is right. This has always perplexed me that Jesus is working on a different time because it wasn't yet His time, but yet He says, for you, any time is right time. Any time is the right time. Not my right time, but, 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 but this is your right time. Any time. Ever say any time. This is actually crazy. Because when John the Baptist, I'm bringing this together, Pastor Stephen, you're going to love this. This, this, is, this is actually the, the, the right time. Because when we see in the, in the Scriptures, John the Baptist, he came out of the wilderness preaching the Kingdom of God. His message was, repent for the Kingdom of God is near. Meaning it's coming soon. You better get ready is what he was saying. You better fix your life up. You better get that thing right in your life because the Kingdom of God's coming. It's happening soon. And he warned the people. He prepared the way for the coming Lord. But what could be confusing is we see in Scripture when Jesus hits the scene, He actually has a similar message. He also is quoted in Scripture for saying, repent for the Kingdom of God is near. Near. Hang on. John the Baptist said this, and this has kind of confused me quietly. Wouldn't admit it before now because that would make me seem what insignificant as a preacher, not knowing, but now I know. So now I'm bold to preach this. Because where John said the Kingdom of God is near, he, he was talking about time. Where Jesus said the Kingdom of God is near, He was not talking about time. He's talking about proximity. He, he's talking about a place. Not soon will it come, but it's closer than you think. In fact, it's not in what day or what hour and what time, but He says the Kingdom of God is right within you. In fact, it can't get any closer than right inside of you. And I like what Jesus is trying to unpack for the church today, that He says sometimes there has been a season where it seems like your light has been hidden. It seems like... What I put in you has been in the clay jar. But what marked the, the season change, what, what marked the change from a suddenly means that any time I actually have the power to bring the suddenly into my season because God has put the power in the Kingdom of God within me. Within me. Meaning that, 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 that when will I find peace, God? When am I going to find peace? He says, look in the jar. And in the jar, you're going to find peace in the jar. Because the Bible says that He has put peace on the inside of us. That the Kingdom of God is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In fact, joy is in the jar too. I'm sure if I dig around, I can find joy in the jar. There is joy in the Holy Spirit. You're asking the question of when. When is whenever. When is whenever? When is whenever what's in me comes over the overpowers the flesh that's around me, the limitation that's holding me, the fragile clay jar, the human element, the, the earthen vessel, the very thing that's been containing these things, the things I've been afraid of, the things I've been intimidated of. When 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 what's in me overpowers what's around me, when what's in me begins to influence that, influence the very thing around me. I'm talking about courage. There is courage inside of you. There is kindness inside of you. There is peace inside of you. There is joy inside of you. Come on, there is virtuous. There's gold. Come on, there is, there is righteousness. There is hope. 
There is, there is all kinds of things. There is courage. In fact, what God wants is He wants you to pour all of you out. He says, hold nothing back. Let what's in you come out of you. Come on, this is the right time. This is the right time where the very Kingdom of God begins to come out of those in the church. This is the timing in which God works in our life. Not a matter of when, but a matter of where. Jesus knew. He knew. We look at it as a strange question. Great revelation, Peter, but don't tell anyone. Jesus knew that Peter had to break some areas of his flesh. Peter had to battle all kinds of insecurities. We even see this where he was intimidated by the crowd to acknowledge that he even knew Jesus. Jesus knew that there's still some chronos time. There's still some season that we're gonna walk together, Peter, where we're gonna learn some things. I gotta, I gotta teach you what it is, not just to be joyful and victorious in this season, but I gotta teach you what it means to suffer with Christ. I gotta teach you to, to go through some things because on the other side of your suffering is a message of hope for others to know that just as you've been through it and God brought you through, He can do the same thing for me. Let me find something inside me to bring out in that season because I've walked with God. We hope you were blessed by this podcast. For more information for service times or for location, or to partner with us financially, visit us online at fivechurch.org.